2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program where we are way more exciting than the latest Oscars award show. Today on Better Than Before, my guest is Jeffrey Hull, a leadership expert who's identified new leadership models for today's business environment. This is going to be a great conversation. You don't want to miss it. Jeff is coming up just in seconds, and I will be sharing five challenges you face when you have a new business in our leadership and business lesson a little later on in the show. It's all today on Better Than Before brought to you by University Subaru homegrown and proud of it because adventure still needs chasing we gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a
1: more powerful engine plus standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running according to Kelly Blue Book love it's what makes Subaru Subaru test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard, but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
2: Welcome back to Better Than Before, everybody. Jeff Hull is my guest today, and he is the author of the best-selling book, Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World. Jeff is an author, educator, and consultant with over 20 years' experience partnering with C-suite executives on issues of high-performance leadership and organizational strategy. A passionate educator, Jeffrey is Director of Education at the Institute of Coaching, a Harvard Medical School affiliate. He's also a clinical instructor in psychology at Harvard Medical School and an adjunct professor of leadership at New York University. In the book Flex, Jeff shares the secrets, strategies, and science underlying his and his clients' successes, interweaving real-life stories with practical tips and the latest evidence-based research. He equips readers with the insights they need to thrive in today's world. In his 20 years of coaching leaders and teaching at top universities, Jeff has a front row seat to the rise of a new kind of leader, which is what I really want to talk to him about today. Society is undergoing changes in demographics and culture. Millennials are rising to leadership positions. And we also see a flattening of the traditional corporate hierarchy. Based on his popular classes with Harvard Medical School physicians and New York University business students, Jeff has identified six key elements that leaders in this new workspace need to succeed, known as FIERCE. And we'll get him to describe what FIERCE stands for, too, before we let him go today. Jeff, man, I appreciate you being on today. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. It's good to be here. It's nice to meet you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for taking the time. And as I read there, you're a busy guy, man. You got a lot going on. (laughs)
0: <laughs> multiple
2: uh, balls in the air as yeah, they say you bet well listen i i know from talking to my clients and just business people you know on um just in various forums of when you're around and you get together or whatever everybody's talking about what does the future look like in business and leadership and that sort of thing and that's what you're watching very very closely so just on the surface before we get in too deep what are you seeing
0: Well, there's a lot of things that are uh, changing, and I would say uh, just before we kind of went into this past year's major disruption, they were already underway. A lot of organizational dynamic changes, a lot of changes in the demographics, a lot of changes in the structures of organizations, and this past year's pandemic has just accelerated everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I I sense that for sure and I've had plenty of conversation about it. So, what are the you you talk about in flex the new leadership models? What can you describe some of that for us?
0: Well, I think before you get into the new model, you have to get grounded in what has always been the traditional, what I would call like the archetype of effective leadership. Rebit. Um which as we sort of all know uh, firsthand I, and have all been exposed to in our careers, if we've had any kind of organizational experience, has been, you know, what I call the alpha style leader, or those individuals that are known for being directive, authoritative, decisive, Um, in some cases, visionary, charismatic.
2: Bulls in China shops.
0: Yeah. I mean, they might be delicate at moments, but generally that's command and control. It's top down. It is, uh, you know, get behind. You know, I'm a leader. Therefore, you get behind me and you follow. Yeah. And that archetype is still valuable. Um, I think about the beginnings of the pandemic when when everything was disrupted and People were really feeling anxious and lost and unclear about how work was going to take place. And you needed folks that were competent, confident, strong, directive. But that is not going to be, that's kind of the what I call the one trick pony approach to leadership. And it's really not going to be effective in the long run in today's world. So in my research and in my own practice and in having multiple surveys and focus groups with many, many coaches, because I get access to thousands of coaches at the Institute of Coaching at Harvard, um, You know, we, we've really started to notice a shift in a broadening of the leadership styles that can be effective. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've identified uh, a style that I call the beta style leader, which if you think about it is almost the other end of the spectrum. It tends to be someone who's more of a collaborative consensus builder, a democratic approach to leadership curious listener, they might even be introverted as opposed to charismatic. Um, but the fundamental difference is that they lead by empowering others as opposed to leading by being in charge of others. And as I said before, it's not an either or situation, but in today's environment, you already mentioned some of the changes, you know, demographics are becoming more varied, multicultural environments, more virtual work, obviously. Um, you know, the need for teams to be innovative, to be quick, to be uh, taking risks and trying new things. I mean, you can't just have a few select charismatic directors that run everything. You need to have innovation. You need to have creative risk-taking and to elevate the talents Of all of the folks that are in your organization. And that requires a more variable skill set, a more variable style, a more, as I like to call it, an agile leadership approach.
2: You bet. And so in your book, uh, you talk about Fierce, this uh, element or this this set of elements. So kind of take us through Fierce and explain to us what that's all about.
0: Well, the Fierce model evolved from kind of a two-step process. The first was I, recognizing that I wanted to write about these big shifts that I was seeing take place on the leadership landscape, I took a close look at my own practice, you know, cause I've been coaching folks for about 20 years. So I paid attention um, at a granular level to what I was seeing change, how I was seeing these changes show up in my own practice. And then I did a lot of surveys and discussions and focus groups with other coaches, as I mentioned, to see whether or not I was an odd duck or whether this was happening you know, across a broad array of the leadership landscape. And I found it to be the case. And then I decided that we needed to step back and categorize you know, what are some of these key elements that encompass this more flexible, agile leadership style. And it really fell into six core buckets or domains. And then I created an acronym around it just for the ease of access, you know, just to make them uh, readable and accessible to folks. So the FIERCE model, you can go by the letters, is F-I-E-R-C-E. Um, and they stand for six dimensions of leadership, flexible decision-making, in- intentional communication, emotional agility, realness, or another word for authenticity, Uh, collaboration, which is, you know, your collaborative style as a leader, and then how do you engage the creating an environment for engagement. Um, And there's just, you know, across that spectrum of what I'm calling the alpha beta, there's different approaches within each of those six domains.
2: And, And are there some hallmarks or earmarks that you can share for each one of those with our audience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's sort of core principles that, yeah, um, underpin each of the six domains. So for example, flexible decision making, which is the first of the six, is really about who makes the decision. How do you make a decision? A key element of successful leadership is, decis- is deciding, you know, hey, we're gonna run the, we're gonna go up the hill, you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna go here, we're gonna go there. What is the strategy? But there's a whole spectrum of how does one come to a decision. On the one end, you on the one hand, you have those decisive alpha leaders who say, I'm the boss, I make the decision, and you follow me. Way on the other end of the spectrum, you would have the consensus builder who decides by democracy or by um, listening to what everyone has to say and then coming to some kind of group decision. Or maybe the leader would still make the final decision, but it's built through um, an approach of listening and finding out where everyone else stands. So decision-making is a spectrum of activity for leaders. Secondly, you have communications. So a more alpha directive style would be here's the facts, here's the numbers, you know, here's the results, and here's what I want. We all know the PowerPoint guys that stand up, you know, with their facts and figures and say, you know, you got to get this number and this is where we're going. It's very data driven, mm-hmm. very rational. But at the other Log- end logical, of the very logical. Yeah, logical, rational, and based on data which yeah. is valuable. I mean, it's a good, it's a good thing. It's not sure. a bad style, but it's a particular modality. The other end of the spectrum, I've had many clients who are what I call beta communicators where they're storytellers, they're aspirational. They use metaphor and stories and narratives. It, it tends to be a more personal, you know, they take their vision and they personal, and they personalize it. They make people connected emotionally to what they want to accomplish.
2: I love those people who do not read the slides to you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you know, the, you can imagine that there's two ends of a the spectrum there. You have those very decisive, rational communicators, and then you have the storytellers. And they're both valuable, but they're different um, impact depending upon the context that you're trying to create. And then you have emotional intelligence, which is becoming a really crucial skill set for leaders in today's world. But even in that domain, there's variation. So even a highly emotionally aware alpha style leader will tend to be um, kind of holding emotions in check, kind of holding back. They're highly regulated. They tend to be fairly stoic. They tend to um, not be highly expressive with feelings. They would probably tend toward being more rational. They don't necessarily dismiss emotions, but they don't put a high necessarily a high amount of stock in them. And then, of course, you can see on the way on the other end of the spectrum, you have a highly emotional and empathic, intuitive, expressive type leader. And that can be an incredible strength, especially in today's world where people are anxious, feeling disrupted, feeling uncomfortable. And, you know, there's been a lot of angst around all the different disruptions. And so it helps to have someone who's emotionally connecting, empathically connecting with their people. Yeah. But I Again, it's not one way or the other, but it's a spectrum.
2: You know, I'm kind of curious. Can we just pause and dive into this one a little bit more? Absolutely. So on the EQ one, emotional intelligence one, how would a leader in your particular model on that softer side of the spectrum, how would they tend to give feedback?
0: Well, I think in the context of being emotionally expressive and um, connected to people around how they're feeling with their work environment, their performance, you know, you're, you're going to go into it with a sense of curiosity. You know, he, I'm curious to learn how you're feeling about your work, what's working for you, what's not working for you. And I'll share with you what's working for me and what may be something we could work on together to be better.
2: So there might you be know, more, so there might be more inquiry to the feedback then
0: inquiry, empathy, and more curiosity. Um, You don't right out of the gate start with, you know what? You didn't make your numbers last
2: Here's the data. What do you think? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. All right. That makes sense. I like that. I like that.
0: And you know, that segues very easily into the next domain, which is authenticity or realness, as I called it. And if you think about, um, uh, integrity and honesty and competency, they also tend to show up, like building trust with your team as a leader, that also tends to fall in a spectrum of activities or behaviors. So in the alpha side of things, it would tend to be stoic, rational, strong, and relatively reticent. You know, you're, you're really trying to exude confidence and that's important in terms of authenticity and integrity, right? You want someone who you can trust, who you feel they know what they're doing. They have my back. So that's a good trait.
2: And they're, pretty on, consi- and they're fairly consistent, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And they tend to be reliably, reliably consistent and competent and strong, all of which are good things. But let's look at the other end of the spectrum. You have leaders who under, especially under pressure, under stress, when they know there's a lot of anxiety, which there has been like the last year or so, they tend to be more vulnerable. They tend to be more express, more open, more transparent. They tend to be more humble. They may be willing to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. So let's figure this out together. So it is a more open, um, approachable way of leading, Not not any less competent necessarily, but willing to be vulnerable. And then if you move further, you have uh, the last two in my domains are collaboration and engagement. And collaboration really breaks down into, are you a directive um, delegator? You know, When you're working with your team, do you tend to advise and delegate and set goals and kind of basically set, the motion, set in motion what people need to do? Which is again, that directive style. Or at the other end of the spectrum, are you a coach? Are you a mentor? Do you create a partnership with your people and try to engage them and empower them to find the answer on their own? Which is more about leveling up other people's leadership rather than being the one that always has the answers. So in a collaborative style, sometimes it's better not to be directive. It's better to be more um, detective, more inquisitive, more trying to work it through together as a partnership. And finally, in the, in the domain of engagement, this is where that interesting intersection around productivity and creativity enter into the space of a team. Because the alpha style engager will tend to be very results oriented. They're very to-do list, tasks, let's get stuff done. They move fast and break things. And that's great when you know exactly what you wanna accomplish. You want high performance, you want results, you have goals, all of which can be great for a team. But what about the other end of the spectrum? What if you're really trying to get creativity out of your people? What if you want them to come up with a new idea or take a risk or try something that they've never done before? Then a directive kind of results oriented style is not really gonna work very well. You can't really order people to be creative. Creativity doesn't come from a directive. So you have to create a different kind of engagement environment, which tends to be more flexible, more fluid, um, more individualistic, letting people uh, work in ways that are nurturing of their creativity and of their approaches, their innovation. So, you know, that kind of flexibility, unstructured approach to work is also really powerful when you're trying to be like a skunkworks and get creativity out of your team.
2: So these uh, six areas with these spectrums, so let's say someone has been an alpha leader for a lot of their career. Once they become aware of the spectrums, can they move across it? Does it take practice or are they even capable of moving across it?
0: <laughs> I love that question because if it, the answer is yes and yes. Yes, they can. And yes, they have to practice.
2: Well, I've, I've just coached a lot of people that if the way you describe an alpha they're, that's just a natural extension of who they are naturally. But I've also coached people that they could go to this other side uh, in steps and then get pretty fluent at it. I just wanted to know what you'd seen.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that points to one of the core themes of my book, which is, you know, we coaches don't have a magic formula for change. No. What we do is we create an environment with our clients that nurtures their inter their intrinsic motivation to expand. And there are really no, you know, there are key steps that have been proven through a lot of research now that people really can change the way they operate as leaders. And so that's actually one of the core themes I wanted to get at in the book is what is the coaching approach to expanding? If you're an alpha, that's a good starting point, but what if you want to develop your repertoire so that you can be more beta when the time calls for it, when the situation would benefit most from being a little more flexible, being a better listener, being a little bit more collaborative, leveling up your team to be leaders, not just being in charge yourself. And so to your point, I think, you know, the coaching approach is to get clear on your strengths. You know, like you said, you're naturally developed yourself as a leader, as an alpha. But now you have, what is the desire to continue to grow, to continue to learn? And how do you do that? You do that by figuring out where you want to go and then practice.
2: By the same token, you know, as I sit here and and ponder this, I I think I've also seen some people that'd be more on the beta side who may need to come back to the alpha side uh, in certain situations, because all of this should be situational, right? Totally. What, What does the situation call for? And, yep. and be able to, if you put this in musician terms, you know, be, be able to know the versatility of your instrument and be able to move across different styles and such, I think is what I'm picking up from you.
0: Oh, totally. And I love the metaphor because I think at the end of the day, you know, what you ultimately want to develop in your leadership uh, clients and, and leaders that want to expand their repertoire is to kind of move toward being the way you think about a conductor of an orchestra. Who actually, the good ones, you know, the really high-class top drawer conductors actually know how to play all the instruments. You bet. And the reason they know how to play all the instruments is because they took time to practice and they took time to learn the variable tones and, and intricacies of all the different parts of the orchestra. And that's what makes them, you know, sort of what do they call them? The master of ceremonies, you know, that 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 ability to really understand. How to get the best out of everyone and all the different instruments? Yeah,
2: different I'm models. sure they were naturally curious about all the different sounds that could be made and the different instruments, right. and then harmonizing them all. Yep. So, so I want to get to this too. Make sure I get to this before I have to let you go. But tell me a little bit about we've we've covered leadership here very very well enough that I'm sure people are going to want to get this book. But what about the designs of the organization? Where do you see? You mentioned that at the very top. Where is that going?
0: Well, there's a whole, gosh, there's a whole abundant number of shifts that are taking place organizationally.
2: You, bet.
0: you know, the first one is flattening, right? Organizations have typically historically been pyramids where there were just a few people at the top and everyone else was looking up at the top and trying to climb the corporate ladder and all of that kind of thing. And that is definitely um not necessarily not going to be the future i mean organizations are getting flatter they're more democratized they're they're more agile yeah and it's more like a network configuration so you know when you think about managing a network it's a whole different dynamic in terms of communications and interconnectivity and getting results and setting goals and uh, performing when people are really more uh, all kind of all on the same level and working more as partners, as part of a interconnected team. So you have that whole dimension. And then you have this thing that's becoming hugely important in the past year. And I think is going to be around for a while, which is virtuality, right? Like people working from everywhere.
2: Oh, Um, that is a huge issue for every CEO I work with. I mean, they, they are laboring over it intensely, trying to figure out what's the best thing to do.
0: Yep. So you've got that. And a lot of organizations are going to end up with some form of hybrid work where they still want to get the benefits of bringing people together because there's nothing that can replace social cohesion of actually being physically together. But it's not required to necessarily work in an office nine to five anymore a lot of the time. So how do you have that flexibility?
2: I think too, Jeff, it speaks to at least these are conversations I'm having is it speaks to people where they want to live. Um, there's a whole shift going on away from urban areas and more into rural areas and things like that. And, uh, I I think you've got to take that in consideration. If you don't want to turn people over as fast, you got to think about, okay, where do they want to actually live and be located? And with what we have to work with today, we need to be flexible to be able to work within that.
0: Yeah. If you're going to get the best talent, you have to go to wherever the talent is. Right. And then you and then you have to add in another level of complexity, which is what I would call the multicultural, multigendered, multinational nature of work. You know, we've got more and more people working in organizations that come from all over the world. And, you know, I, I work with large corporates, like a huge pharmaceutical company where the team is spread out all over the place. You know, they have six people in India and Ireland and France and the UK. And they are not only nationally different, geographically different, but they're also culturally different. And so how do you get the best out of folks that are in all sorts of different environments and then respect where they are, learn to be sensitive and create a sense of inclusion and belonging. It's a challenge when they're doing it virtually and in, and in incredibly disparate environments. but at the end of the day, you want to get the best talent and you want people to connect and and give their best performance. So it behooves leaders to learn how to operate in that kind of dynamic.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard on some of my baby boomers. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's, it's just pain. It's just painful. You know, they want to see them in the hallway. They want to see them in their offices or cubicles or, you know, they just want to see them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, just going to be one of those forced changes, I think. Um,
0: well, yeah. And there's, there's two components that need to be addressed under that, in that situation that you're describing. And I think one of them is uh, research can help, like really good evidence-based research that people are not, um, their productivity does not go down when they're working virtually. And that is uh, something that the research is demonstrating. If, if anything, what we're learning so far in recent research is that people tend to work more when they're in virtual search because they don't have a commute. I do. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. Right? Do. It's, it, it, people, people actually tend to work more. So that's the number one thing is for boomers like us to recognize that people will still work hard if from no matter where they are.
2: I'll be sitting there at 10 o'clock at night when I should go to bed and go, well, I could go up there and knock that, you know, out real quick. And there you go. Absolutely. So
0: that's number one of my two dimensions. And the second one is connected to that. And that's how do you build trust? Right. You've got to you've got to have a sense of trust from people, even though they're not right in front of you. And that is a kind of narrative that we've built up over many decades, which is the only way I really trust my people is to walk by their cubicle and see them working. And that's a false narrative. And that's also something that we have to let go of. But then we have to ask ourselves, OK, if I no longer mistrust, if I assume that my people are working and the research shows they are, then how do I build trust? How do I build loyalty? How do I build commitment when you know, you're in Missouri and someone else is in Ireland? So how do you do that? And that is also really well-researched these days, So, which is one of the things that's fun about coaching is you can bring in some of the neuroscience of trust. Trust is not about seeing the same person in a cubicle. Trust is about connecting people through eye contact, through communications, through presence, through listening, and through making a commitment to be there when they need you. And once you develop that, ongoing narrative that you know what i'm here for you and i expect you to be here for me and you redefine what being here for someone actually means it doesn't mean being being by the water cooler it means being available it means i'm only a quick phone call away it means i'm going to check with you on monday mornings at 10 o'clock by phone just to make sure everything's okay and you know you set up those communication channels And then you have, if you have video, you, you know, you use eye contact, you directly connect with people. Sure. And, uh, and guess what? Over time, trust is there. Productivity is there. And even the boomers can get over their fear that everybody's out on the beach drinking (laughs) beer. (laughs)
2: Hey, one more quick category. I want to get your thoughts on here before we wrap up, but what about entrepreneurs? How, how, how are you seeing that vacillate and change?
0: Um, I mean, I think the great thing about entrepreneurship is that it tends to be uh, built on a fundamental narrative of what's going wrong that we can make better, right? You know, what is is the next great idea that can solve a, a, a difficult challenge or a problem or something that's not working? And gosh, do we need that more than ever in today's world, right? So... My sense is that entrepreneurship is going to explode if it isn't. It already is, um, and I think that uh, most of the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that actually learn to have this more flexible leadership style. The biggest challenge for an entrepreneur that I've found in today, because there's lots of them starting businesses and you know taking advantage of the disruption to start their own business. I have one right in my backyard here. Where husband and wife lost their jobs because of the pandemic, which is very unfortunate, but then they started a business and they're running a little Airbnb you know, management company. And um, you know, they're, they're like busy, busy, busy. They're growing like crazy. And so you can definitely turn, it turn these situations into opportunities, but the, the biggest challenge is that you can't do everything yourself. When you're, an, when you're an entrepreneur and you're small, there's a tendency to think, oh, I've got an idea. i got a couple people. I've got some buddies. We'll start a company. Well, that's great. You got five people. You got 10 people. You got 15 people. Well, guess what? When you wake up with a hundred people, yeah, you got to have a whole different
2: style. And you used to control you, every piece of it. Exactly. And You've got to you be can't. willing
0: to let go and level up the other people and trust and build a team and that takes a different kind of energy
2: your child's in preschool and then all of a sudden uh, your child's a teenager
0: perfect analogy yeah i totally agree
2: we're visiting with jeff hull he's the author of the best-selling book flex the art and science of leadership in a changing world jeff i got these questions we ask every guest that comes on the show so we want to get your take on these two okay
0: okay i'm ready
2: all right Number one, what is the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you?
0: Best memory that immediately comes to mind. I mean, I am very fortunate to be in upstate New York where I found a beautiful cabin on a river and uh, it changed my life. And it's where I'm sitting right now, oh, wow, cool. uh, fishing, hiking along the river, and then coming into possession of this beautiful cabin that I have
2: uh, That's wonderful. made a second home. Who's the number one hero in your life?
0: Oh, you know what? I'm going to give you a very cliche answer, but I have to be honest, right? I mean, it's better to say the truth, right? You bet. It's my mom. Um, What's her name? My mom's name was, she passed away uh, 10 years ago, but her name was Lucille. And she was just the most incredibly sweet, loving, giving person. And I learned how to be nice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Had a good model.
0: I'll just give you one quick anecdote. We used to, we used to go to New York City together. I'm from New England originally. And she was one of those people who would talk to people on the subway and say hello to the taxi driver. And I remember saying to her, mom, don't be so friendly to everybody. New Yorkers are not supposed to be friendly. And she would say, they're just people, Jeff, be friendly. And I'm like, ah,
2: good advice from Lucille, man. (laughs) What's the top value you subscribe to?
0: Ah, the top value I subscribe to is honesty. Uh,
2: Who's the most important person in your life?
0: Most important person in my life is my loving partner who makes life worthwhile every single day. Fantastic. What's your favorite thing? Uh, my favorite thing is being in nature. Yeah. yeah
2: it Obviously sounded like it with your cabin. Yeah. On. What's yeah. your favorite food? Oh, you know, anything chocolate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you put chocolate in it, the chances are good. I'm going to like Chocolate's
2: it. Chocolate's an all time favorite, man. <laughs> Most beautiful place you've ever been to.
0: Oh, you know, that's actually not difficult because um, I've been to the northern tip of an island in Hawaii called Kauai, and it is such a spectacular place that I try to go back as often as I can. Very
2: cool. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Gratitude. How do you want to be remembered? Someone who gave to
0: his friends his family his partner his
2: hey i'm sure you're doing community. that with your your book you're going to help a lot of people with this information um how um if you could go back to a young jeff and talk to him what advice would you give him
0: i would tell him to relax that things take things take time they tend to work themselves out and uh yeah you know when you when I was when you're young you want everything to happen overnight oh, yeah. and I'm like a I'm like a 40 year long overnight success.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's your favorite sound?
0: Oh, the sound I mean this won't surprise you, but the sound of the waterfalls that are in the river oh, in I, front of my house. Yeah,
2: Running water of any kind, uh, especially yeah. in a stream or a waterfall. Yep. That's all cool.
0: I sleep to it every night.
2: I grew up in Kentucky where there are a lot of natural bridges and a lot of water and, uh, that, that sound of the water running over the rocks and all that's, I love it.
0: So soothing, right? It's the best, it's the best Xanax you could ever take. Yep.
2: <laughs> all right. Here's the last one. Um, uh, of all the lessons you've learned, what's the best lesson you've learned?
0: Believe that people can change. That's a good one. Because otherwise I couldn't do what I do for a living.
2: Yeah, very optimistic and very. <laughs> it's a great worldview. I have the same one, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I have, I have had people say to me, can you really change people? And I'm like, no, no. I can't, but they, they can. can.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know? No magic wands, that's right. right? That's right. Jeffrey Hall. Uh, the book is Flex, the art and science of leadership in a changing world. Jeff, how do people get the book? How do they find out more about you um, and your coaching practice and things like that?
0: Uh, The easiest way is to look me up on my website, which is jeffreyhull.com. They can get more information about the books available everywhere, you know, the Amazons and Barnes and Nobles and all of that. Uh, But through my website, they can also access it. And I also would encourage people to look up the instituteofcoaching.org, which is another a uh, wonderful organization that I'm very passionate about. There's a lot of great information about coaching and leadership and
2: a lot of resources.
0: And they can find me there.
2: You bet. All right. Hey, Jeff, thanks a bunch, man. You making time today. It was invaluable. We really appreciate you doing it.
0: Well thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure.
2: I'll have a leadership and business lesson next on better than before. Because adventure still needs chasing.
1: We gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love. It's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today, and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word LEADERSHIP to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
2: Welcome back to Better Than Before. This is Tony Richards, and today on our Leadership and Business lesson, I want to talk to you about five challenges faced by new businesses and new business owners. Starting a new business is all about surviving. It just is. You're managing and working month to month for the first three years at the least and five to seven years at the most. And there's several challenges that are going to present themselves along the way in your startup new business. Here are five of them that I'm gonna put together for you today. Number one is cash flow. More than one company has closed its doors, drowning in revenue, unable to pay its bills. Managing cash flow means you have to have an acute understanding of how much money you have on a day-to-day basis to pay the bills. This is of the utmost importance to keeping your company afloat and sailing. I can't tell you how many companies I've seen sink because there was no knowledge of how much cash was in the cigar box to pay the bills. Number two, chaotic periods. You have to have the ability to manage rapid periods of change, and that's key in keeping a new company going. If you get stuck in a certain way of doing business too early on, you're going to lock yourself into a box of which there is no escape. You need new ideas and they need to be tested. You'll have to master a proof of concept process in order to master the change cycle. If you don't have this, you're going to get swept into irrelevance in the marketplace and you're going to be out of business faster than you can shake two sticks. Number three too slow in getting products or services into the marketplace. The better you are at managing cash flow and chaotic periods in your company, the better you'll be at getting your products and your services into the marketplace. And just as a side note, you need to price them accordingly. Having adequate process for this is imperative. As uh, the guru Seth Godin has said, you must be able to ship. In other words, you have to be able to To put the product in the hands of the people who want to buy it your sales and marketing efforts are a process and if it's broken or not being followed correctly this can be a big issue for your new venture number four limited capital cash 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 it's the lifeblood and growth of your company and the more your company grows the more it's gonna suck cash like a Hoover So the more you grow, the more cash you're going to need. There is a tendency for leaders to be short-sighted when it comes to evaluating the amount of money the company will need to have a solid start and remain healthy as growth occurs. Anyone who's had a growing child knows the refrigerator is often empty. Same thing occurs with cap reserves. You need a good banker you can trust and talk to about your capital needs. Number five, expanding sales. This is a killer for many small businesses coming right out of the gate. They don't have a lot of sales expertise or experience, and they can't take advantage of early momentum or grow when times get tough. Expanding sales starts with a clear vision of what problem your company solves and for whom it solves it. It starts with a belief your product or service is so good people cannot do without it or it would make their lives much easier if they had it. Those are the five big problems you're going to face in a new business. That's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards4. You can join my free Facebook group at Tony Richards Speaker, Author, Coach. We also have a free Facebook group at Clear Vision Development Group. And so follow me on Twitter and on Facebook. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before
1: with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.